Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's safety chat. Hi, it's Mike with the Portage County Safety Council. I'm here with Amy and Katie. Welcome, ladies. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. So, Amy, we'll start with you. Just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do with safety. Absolutely. So, my name is Amy Geniak, and uh, I am a mining engineer by education. I started my career about 25 years ago. And uh, when I graduated, the price of gold was super low. And so, I had made this decision to get into the construction aggregates business. And so I had joined an international company that's very well known. And in fact, I spent a lot of my career in Portage County. I really, I started out as a project manager, you know, and working as an engineer, but quickly realized that I had a passion for managing people, which really then shifted to leading people. And so over those 25 years, I've had a lot of different experiences just working with people in the field, and then also being that bridge to upper management. Awesome. So Katie, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do with safety. So my career in safety actually started when I was very, very young. I'm fourth generation in a mining and construction family. So I grew up around aggregates and also um, heavy, heavy paving and road construction. I had a large stint of my career at Starbucks Coffee Company, which is where I really learned that I loved operations and I loved growing people. And after leaving that business, I actually went back into my family's business and held a position as a safety officer. And that led me into managing both MSHA and OSHA requirements, along with a lot of other regulatory bodies. But it also allowed me to be on the front lines with about 130 people annually and lead their training and And that is really where my passion for safety came from. So ladies, I saw a LinkedIn post that got me fired up. And this gentleman talked about safety culture. And he said, is safety culture a waste of time? And he said, I feel like it takes time away from real safety issues. And and to me, I'm a huge safety culture guy. And there tends to be two types of safety guys out there. There's the safety person that really is pro-safety culture and they like to talk about a lot. And then there's the anti-safety culture person that just wants to talk about the more mechanical, practical things. Have you guys experienced that out there? Absolutely, right? And so, you know, my career started in the 90s. And I can tell you that everything was strictly conditional based. So we were checking a lot of boxes. Right. So MSHA was was coming to our sites. We were making sure that we were following every regulation that we needed to follow. We were also then tracking our results and we were constantly looking behind. We were in that rearview mirror looking back and saying, "Okay, we had this many lost time accidents. So what are we going to do to fix it? But we really never, never had a plan to fix it. So we were keeping all these statistics. We were checking all sorts of boxes. We were training on all of these boxes. But when the day was done, there really wasn't a human side of it, in my eyes, at least. Right. Um, And I think over time and over my career, specifically with the company that I worked with for over 15 years, I really was able to see a shift. And that shift went from this conditions and compliance space to really shifting into this culture where safety became a condition of employment. It suddenly wasn't like something that we were just checking boxes, that it was something that it was part of your day to day and it was spilling over into your personal life. Right. And as I read that post, I started looking at the comments and what I realized was the two different groups of people kind of battled back and forth. And I realized their biggest complaint wasn't against culture, it was actually against campaigning. 
they're really against people talking the talk with the campaign posters, T-shirts, all these different things, and people mm-hmm. using the, the language of safety culture, but not really applying it what it is. And I realized what we actually have is here a definition issue. We have a defining issue of what actually is culture. You know, and culture is defined of the behaviors and beliefs or characteristics of a particular group. And the Cambridge Dictionary talks about the way of life of a particular people, especially as shown in their ordinary behavior and habits and their attitudes toward one another. So safety culture, we all have it, whether we, whether we like it or not. It's either good or bad, right? And it's not the safety box thing of, you know, you mentioned check the box. We check this, we do this, and we have the checklist. I've been part of work environments. You guys have probably seen those, right? Where the guy has the tow motor list, and I've seen this firsthand. They take the little checklist out. So they have the safety issue. They check the box. They don't look at anything, sign off and get back to the job. So there's a culture issue there, isn't there? It's not divorced. It's not two separate things. And I think that you hit it right on the head is that we do have a culture. So it's either good or it's bad. And you're either living it or you're not living it. Maybe it's my minor in anthropology coming out in me, but you have to make it actionable. And I think that you can have, there's the task side of safety, but how do you get the task done? And that's your culture. So right. it's either checking the box or it's actually living it and going through the motions of what that looks like to make sure that people are safe. And I think that when you're making a bold move and you're going to shift a behavior, you're going to create a culture and shift into that. That takes a lot, right? It's a habit. And so oftentimes too, I think the questions maybe that some of these people had Maybe the easy way is to put up some signs and to have some catchy phrases. Exactly. It's almost like a lazy, short-term minded, even if you wouldn't call it lazy, it's almost just like, we'll just throw this out there, hope it sticks and call it culture. Then then you go back to normal. So nothing really changes, right? And I think the other thing is that, so maybe lazy is, is easy and that's safe. Right? That's a safe thing to do. You can, you can work real hard to come up with the slogans. You can have the t-shirts. You can have a color coded everything. But to really sit down and have a tough conversation about change, it ain't easy. And some of our best managers oftentimes don't have it in them and or haven't been trained to be able to have these conversations. And so that's a whole nother thing that we really have to look at when when we're putting people out on the front line as a frontline supervisor and we're promoting him because he's a good mechanic and he came to work on time and he's been with us for 15 years. So while he deserves to be a manager have we given him the tools to actually change people? Okay. Let's sit there for a minute because that's a huge problem. Huge problem. We see this with retention and turnover as well, not just safety. So you have someone who's a great shipping dock person, let's say, or they run a machine well. And so because they run a machine well, they get promoted to management, which never made sense to me. Okay, you, you do it based off merit, but the problem is that person may have absolutely no management skills. They may run the machine like nobody's business or the shipping dock like nobody's business, but do they have management skills? Can they actually teach? I've met a lot of salespeople, a lot of uh, maintenance workers that were terrible managers, and they couldn't teach anyone how to do what they did. They just had a talent to do what they did, so they were good in the performance end, but when it came to leadership, safety, or management, they were terrible. So that's a really big deal, isn't it? There's a difference between managing a task and leading behaviors. That's so And good. I think that to, to Amy's point, Part of it is that, yes, you have to be able to have tough conversations, but what creates culture is follow-up. It's consistency. It's doing it over and over again and modeling a behavior that then becomes who you are. So it sticks. And that's not a one-time thing. And it, and it also is always evolving. 
So as much follow through as you're going to do, as much training as you're going to do, that's what you're going to get out of it. And this, the middle manager that promoting the person who's really good at a task, who's been on a tow mode or not speaking to anyone for 12 years, you know, maybe there should have been a, a pause to say, <laughs> right. hey, we should, we should, you know, we should put that person through maybe some communication classes or a higher level leadership sure. class or bring them into management meetings that maybe they weren't a part of just to at least participate so that they can quietly soak in what's going on behind closed doors so they understand it. And it's just a void. And it's particularly apparent in a lot of the construction industries. So Auburn University did a study back, I think it was like 2005. They studied compliance and it was crazy. It was based off culture, but the words they used, the language they used was ethics, how ethics affect workplace safety. But within that, they talked about, they called membership, leadership exchange, and and a couple different things and perception, employee perception of organizational ethics, perception of organizational support. You know, the employees were asking, does my company support me? Are they with me? Are they for me? Leadership, membership exchange, they said the most important relationship in regards to how employees view the company was between their frontline supervisors. So that's a big deal. They found a strong correlation between safety compliance and those relationships with their frontline supervisor, which affected the view of the entire company. And so, Katie, you said something on LinkedIn that I thought was real powerful. I'm just going to quote you here. You said, culture is shown, not told. It's an action. It's a choice. It's an experience. And more often than not, it is deeply felt. Culture creation is intricately woven from our professional life to our personal life. Transparency and connection is key. For any culture to shift or to be long-lasting, robust, and teachable, it has to be modeled through living the ideals. It must be cultivated and tended to. It's like an organic plant, right? And then you go on to say... If any shift in our organizations, our families, and our intimate circle, we must be committed, yes, 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 to modeling what we wish to see and be a part of. This could be safety behaviors, purposeful actions that are inclusive and celebrate diversity, and what our organizations reveal is their true self during times of prosperity and crisis. That was just beautifully said. Can you elaborate on that a little bit for our listeners that may not have seen that? I mean, culture is a long-term thing, right? And it has to be a choice that we continually weave and just mold like almost like pottery, continually put our hands to and continually shape that until we get to the place where we want to get to. For me, it's twofold. It really comes from my background of working within an organization like Starbucks, where there really is no leader left behind. And I tell this story a lot, but you know, in the mid 2000s, when I was going into management, the first thing that you did when you went through your training was to take servant leadership class. You had to take a Franklin Covey class to learn how to be organized and planful so that you could clearly communicate. Oh, I love that. And so one thing that was really shown to me, and when you're in it, you don't realize how powerful it is, is that the transparency and the connection and the engagement and the investment more than anything then creates an entire culture of trust. So if you take that model and you put it into a world where we tend to be way behind, you know, this is something that retail has really been building in their training plans and their culture creation for a long, long time, for 30, 40 years. But in construction, it's it's a little bit far behind, but it is completely replaceable in safety. If you create these circles of trust, your buy-in 
for why you have to do something to keep someone safe is going to be less of a struggle and it's going to be easier to communicate. But the problem is, is that it has to be all the time. So you can't have people in place who are going to be exhausted and say, go read the poster. Because we all get them from JJ Keller and we hang them up and, you know, and then we think that it's done and it's not. So I think that part of the auditing of getting your safety measures in place is making sure that you have people who are willing to do the exhausting work over and over and over again. You mentioned the word consistency, which is one of Amy's five ways that we actually shift safety culture. So Amy, I'm going to read a little thing that you posted a while back. We'll go through each of these points and kind of elaborate and both of you feel free to jump in there. You said, I could tell you that 20 years ago, iron workers on my job sites didn't wear fall protection. PPE was for the inexperienced guy that couldn't get around on the iron and it would cause an accident before it saved a life. The young manager in me tried to enforce it, but upper management didn't have my back. Lead hands didn't even own a harness and I didn't have a clear plan to train and change a group of seasoned veterans, which I hear from young safety managers all the time, especially women, that they get this in the hard you know, industry or construction industry. They deal with that a lot of times. And you go on to say, so how did a harness become part of an ironworker standard gear? It was a safety culture shift sprinkled with enforcement by management and government agencies. Managers were committed to the change. Leaders emerged discussing working at heights. Fall protection training became our normal, and peers were no longer shaming each other for wearing a harness. So there's even a social aspect of it. And you said it's the foundation of shifting any safety culture, and you list five keys there, five aspects. One is management commitment. Two is employee engagement. Three is communication. Four, training. Five, consistency. Let's talk about number one, management commitment. Amy, this is a big deal. I've seen it all over the place where you have a gung-ho safety manager that just comes in with a fresh set of eyes and can just pinpoint things. And sometimes managers get almost blind spots from being in the industry so long, don't they? I remember an HR manager came to me one time and um, she had a couple near misses with tow motor hits in a steel forging company. And she went to the plant manager trying to make a difference in regards to safety. And he said, I've been in this industry for decades and this is the safest I've ever seen it. So he was almost blind to the safety need but here she came in from a different perspective. She said, yeah, you know, we got lucky a few times, but we've had some near misses that really need to look at. And without that management commitment, I hear it all the time in the safety council. How do I get my management to buy in on safety and make a bigger deal out of it? So how important is management commitment? Well, I mean, I think you're, you're talking yourself through it. It's the foundation to this. I can share a quick story that I oftentimes will share when I speak about this. When I worked with Lafarge, I worked with them in a time when you didn't always see people wearing steel toe boots. You, you saw people wearing hard hats, but not safety glasses. Okay. So this is, this is, this is how I grew up. And I had had some experiences where I, I had worked for a, a company in the summer job that really embraced safety culture early on in the mid nineties. And so it was kind of beat into me. And, and so when I joined Lafarge, I assumed that's what was happening in the real world. And in fact, it, it wasn't. And I talk about how I had worn safety glasses my first day of work and I approached a bunch of men that were in senior management positions and I took my glasses off because I was embarrassed. There's a moment, you know, that was a moment of management commitment. Those same leaders, you know, years later then were kind of part of Lafarge making that desperate move to make a shift in how you do that. So to Katie's point, the JJ Keller, the signs were up. We, Lafarge had their own 
you know, quick quotes and themes that were all over all the plants. You saw it everywhere, but was anyone really living it? You know, I got excited and I was like, yeah, okay. And by this point, I am a ship supervisor at the Marblehead Quarry. I am on second shift. I am managing a group of union employees. I am the only woman there. So I have, I got a lot against me. But my small knit group, we became a family. You know, I cared about them. It was natural for me. I was very nurturing. I just cared about people and it, it just vibrated through the group. And so when our senior manager came to visit from Paris, our CEO, we were excited, right? We, we put out the red carpet. We did housekeeping. We painted. I mean, everyone was so excited on my shift. We even had on safety vests. And this was before people were really wearing safety vests. All of it. Hard hats, steel toe boots, safety glasses. We were ready. And I will never forget, he got out of his truck to say hello to us, and he put on his hard hat, and they hadn't put the insert in properly, so it was kind of crooked and ill-fitting. And he had on glasses, but they were prescription glasses, and they weren't safety glasses. They didn't have style shields. And he had on Italian loafers. But when he got out, he had the speech, right? He had that slogan. He was ready. You know, he was ready to talk about safety. But here we are. You know, and I guess my point is, is that we have got to lead by example. Management has got to be committed and, and in air quotes, maybe take that risk to be different. Like that iron worker who's putting on his fall harness, who maybe has 30 years in the business and he never wore it, but he gets up in the morning and decides, I'm going to leave this crew today and I am going to wear it. My company is also going to actually invest money in our safety program and training and rewarding and recognizing employees. And not there's going to be, yeah, and there, there's going to be a line item and you're not going to say, well, I'm this budget because I had to buy safety supplies, right? Right. Um, and so there's a lot of different ways to look at, but ultimately that you are really, if you're talking the talk, you better walk the walk. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nothing causes us to lose credibility in the eyes of our audience, whether that's, you know, a market or family members or employees. By being inconsistent, right? It, with being almost hypocritical in some sense. You know, I worked at a, a box plant one time that my job required me to walk in this about 12 to 15 foot wide conveyor. And it had a gate that opened up and it was on the second story, second floor of this machine that we had. And he walked up and there's a sign across from the gate on the opposite side. that said, do not walk on the conveyor. But my job description required me to walk on the conveyor. So they had absolutely no credibility and the same plant would fire you if they didn't see you openly display your lockout tagout lock. So they said, we're cracking down on safety, zero tolerance. Yet they had this messaging going forth that they didn't practice. So they had no credibility with safety. So Amy, number two, employee engagement. And Katie, feel free to jump in here. This is a huge deal. This is some of my bread and butter. That Auburn study that I mentioned earlier, they said a lot of times there's no compliance from employees because they don't receive, whether that's credibility or they just don't buy it. From the management, if the employees don't buy into the message that the management is saying, it's usually related to engagement. And so they said they'll have a direct impact on whether or not your employees are compliant with your safety policy. What do you guys say about that? You know, I think that this is about engagement and employee empowerment and really just making sure that everyone is an equal, right? Like we are all equals when it comes to safety from the CEO to the, the person that's greeting you when you come to the scale house. We've got to create an environment where we all do feel like we are empowered. 
And this also crosses boundaries with generations and I think even even diversity issues, right? And so you, you've got to feel comfortable. You've got to feel safe to be able to speak to each other about it. I have to feel safe to be able to say to that CEO, hey, you know what, before we have this conversation, could you actually put on a pair of safety glasses and here, let me help you with your hard hat. And that you're not then being shamed, as I talked about in that LinkedIn post, that that you're not feeling scared or ashamed that you're wearing safety equipment or that you're actually talking about it, that we're all having an equal conversation. I think, too, that it's really, really important that we remember that employee empowerment is directly tied to management commitment and that you can't have one without the other. And that if you do have one without the other, what happens is you end up having these microcultures of safe versus unsafe. And so there's no cohesion. And I think that, you know, just to kind of back up what Amy was saying with management commitment, you know, coming from a family business, which a lot of these businesses locally are still, you know, your management is usually family. And so there's this whole other layer of it. And I have to tell you from my own experience with safety, my grandfather was a two-time chairman of the board for National Safety Council. He also sat on Minnesota Safety Council and was a representative who went to Washington for OSHA. So for me, it just was. Mm -hmm. The management commitment just was the culture because it was lived. And so there was no problem encouraging employee engagement or getting people engaged because no one could say, well, the CEO doesn't do it. And so, you know, you you can't have one without the other. And I think that if you don't have management commitment, you're wasting your time putting resources into employee empowerment if they don't feel, like Amy said, that there is a safe place for them to go because no matter who they tell, there will always be a dead stop if management isn't committed. Right. And I know John Maxwell, one of his big principles is everything rises and falls on leadership. And so if we don't have employee engagement, yeah, it could be the employees, but it could be a culture issue, but more specifically, culture within the management. Are they engaging employees? Are these different things happening? So that's good stuff, ladies. I appreciate that. Number three, communication. Now, this one's huge. This can go multiple ways. How important is communication in regards to shifting safety culture? Well, it doesn't count for anything if you're not doing it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Not living the message is an automatic disqualifier for credibility for sure. Right. So training is great, but communicating it is even better because that's your, that's your Velcro. You know, and I think that when we when we start to look at generational shifts in our business and diversity and inclusion, the other thing that we're realizing and appreciating is that today we all need to understand the why, right? So, so 20 years ago, you were told to, you know, wear a hard hat and you didn't really ask why. You were told to go shovel for three months and you didn't ask why. You just did it because somebody was ruling with an iron fist and you might get in trouble in air quotes or fired fired if you didn't do it. Right. That doesn't work anymore, does it? It doesn't. And so now we need to know why and we need to get behind it. And so that's part of this communication and training. It's almost this broken record of and it's not just putting up putting up the poster board with a snappy slogan. It's having tough conversations. And isn't the goal to have a workforce that is engaged and wants to know why they're doing something? Like, the days are over to have an entire workforce who's apathetic, who just are a bunch of yes people. Mm -hmm. That's not culture. And you can't lead change that way. 
And I would also say that one of the, you know, so if, if, if we're going to start then gauging our success and, and, you know, we want, we want to have marbles in a bowl. <laughs> sure. And we want to count yeah. them all, right? There's somebody out there that's going to say, well, how successful are we? I would argue that you are, you are starting to shift the culture. You are empowering employees. You're, there's commitment and you are really communicating when you start to see a huge rise in near misses being reported yeah. and accidents being reported. I am the most suspicious when I come in and work with a group that tells me that, well, we only had one accident last year, but they're also telling me that customers come before safety in our world, right? And so if we have people that are talking about it, that are discussing the why, and that are empowering each other to have these tough conversations, we're going to put it all out on the table. And so there's going to be a spike because everybody is finally now being honest with themselves. And I mean, and I did the same thing with all of my, all the people in the field that I dealt with. And and I used to tell them during our annual safety training, I'm so proud of you guys. We had more workers cop claims this year than the year before. And they just were flabbergasted. And I said, because you trust me enough to come to me when there is an issue to know that I will work with you to figure it out. And so I'd rather send you for a bruise and have it be nothing than for you to go home with it and be really hurt and not be able to be with your family. And that kind of openness, you know, I think that there's this black cloud around it, that that's a bad thing, but it actually works for your business. Yeah, let's stay there for a minute because we did a survey last summer, last July 2019, actually, where we talked about with our members, hey, we want to find out what's your primary motivation for being safe, yada, yada, yada. And so we surveyed them and 67%, now they were able to check all that apply, but 67% said the primary motivation for them staying safe at work is to make sure their co-workers go home the same way they came in. 63%, there was a tie for second place, is for family, spouse, kids, siblings, parents, etc. They want to come back because they have kids and then and family and parents and just th- their loved ones. And then tied with that was me to make sure I go home the same way I came at 50%. They said, so I can enjoy the things I love outside of work, you know, hobbies, yeah. sports, traveling, whatever it is. And this is when a huge shift happens to keep my employer's costs down 21%. Not many people interested mm. in it, probably mm. more management types. So I don't get fired 8%. So I don't mm. get written up or in trouble 4%. And now here's the one that I love because everybody does this, even though it's completely ineffective to win a safety prize at the end of the month or year. Zero. Not one person said that. Yet every company I know has some kind of safety prize or biggest loser kind of, well, safety will give you a steak dinner and everyone has a big hurrah and it's really ineffective and it doesn't really motivate people beyond the the context. So we did this whole why I stay safe campaign and we focused on those top four things. And uh, we actually have an employer toolkit. If you're listening to this, you can go to PortageCountySafetyCouncil.com. I'm throwing a cheap plug out there. You go to the campaigns tab and you'll see why I stay safe. You can get that free employer toolkit that has our survey and has some thoughts about it. And you can download a free poster and different things to hang at your place. Speaking of communication, but we encourage our members. Hey, sometimes you guys are, you have the little chalkboard up and you say, Hey, it's been 90 days since our last time lost accident. Who's that motivating? Is that motivating the average employee? Not at all. That's motivating management. Management cares about the numbers and the, the cost and all that stuff. The average worker just cares about they want to go home safe. They want to go back to their families. They want to enjoy life. They want to do it with all their limbs. You know, they want their coworkers to experience the same thing. So it's really this social emotional motivation 
And and by the way, since you mentioned Start With Why, we were inspired by Simon Sinek's TED Talk about this. So I'm a huge Simon Sinek fan. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys are. But anyways, yeah, all yeah. that information is available on our site. So we actually found, we actually encouraged them. Hey, that's okay that you use numbers and safety. It's okay. But really, win them over by talking about what really matters to them. They're checking out because it's numbers they're hearing, blah, blah, blah. That's what they're saying. Hey, do you know this cost us 200 grand? They've never seen 200 grand in their life, probably. You know what I mean? Most workers. And, and it's just speaking stuff that's not really sticking to them. But when you start talking about, hey, we want you to go home so you could be a mom or dad the same, you know, the same way you came in. Or, you know, you enjoy golf or fishing. We want you to be able to do that when you get out of here. Think about that. Or what about the, the lady next to you? We want her to go home the same way to her family. And those things start having a heartstring and it begins to get employees more engaged. I think that there is a problem that we try to manage adults in ways that don't work in managing children. So if it doesn't work for a seven-year-old or if giving them candy every time they do something wears off, then why are we trying to run entire safety programs that way or companies' engagement? Right. That's you know, a- and I would argue, I mean, I, you know, we started this by talking a little bit about condition-based safety programs versus uh, behavioral-based safety programs. And so with those conditions, we are looking in the rearview mirror, we are counting the number of accidents, we are, are, we are handing out jackets and gift cards because you suddenly have one less than the year before, all of that, great. It's not, though. We need to take that money, that investment that management has committed to, and instead of buying a 100 Carhartts with a logo on it, let's <laughs> use that money towards, you know, let's use that money towards having a picnic and actually invite everyone's family. Because you know you're not giving out those Carhartt jackets because then they hoard them. <laughs> then they're like, oh, those are the expensive ones. We don't give those out to anybody. <laughs> right, right. And uh, we also, you know, Davy Tree who's based out of Kent, uh, they sent me a thing. We did our Why Stay Safe campaign. They take these little, I don't know what they're called, these like little wallet, like pitcher wallet kind of things with Velcro on them, and they stick them to their hard hat or they stick mm-hmm. them to some place on their clothing, and they ask all their employees to put their loved one or their why, and it says, this is why I stay safe. The wording may be a little different, but they actually have a picture to where before they go off, they, they encourage them to look at that picture before they go up in the tree and you know, and do the services, but what a powerful tool is. And we encourage people during their toolbox talks, like, hey, that's okay to talk about practical mechanical things, but once in a while, ask your employees to bring in like a picture of their kids or something that's important to them or their pets. That way, when they come up, like, hey, this is why I stay safe, and let them engage with that. And we had a great, we had, I can't remember the amount of downloads we had just from the poster. We gave 100 away at our luncheon, but the reception that we got from that, the people were like, hey, this is real. We're doing this at work. We were kind of surprised by it. Well, it's because it's an action. You got to do stuff. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. So that takes us back to number four, training. Obviously, this is a big one. So what do you guys have to say about training? So I think that, you know, again, this isn't just about doing, for example, an eight hour refresher. You have got to be a broken record and you have got to be out doing different types of training with your employees. And this has got to be get beyond the things like lockout, tagout and all of those checking the boxes. We need to start doing training that's also about how we how we manage people, how we manage our time. Even looking at one of the things that's been really interesting for me lately is talking about mental health awareness. 
you know, training on that, those aspects of it, not just maybe looking for when someone is abusing alcohol or drugs, but that is there something going on in their life that then will impact their behaviors at work, which ultimately can impact the, the safety of the entire team. And so coming up with creative plans that really also then just brings everyone together and gets them talking, gets them communicating and really talking about safety and safety culture. And so that brings an employee engagement perspective and not just with management, one for another, like a peer learning environment, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, it, and it's got to be real and thoughtful. I mean, how many listeners have sat through an eight-hour MSHA refresher that was actually probably only three hours of some sort of education? And gee, it was the same PowerPoint we saw last year with a lot of videos. I mean, where that is checking a box. And on the OSHA side or anybody who's going to the PwC, how many times have you taken the, you know, job safety analysis class because you're out of options? So you're just taking it right. over and over and over again. And I think that part of it and and what Amy and I do talk about and agree on is that you have to be open enough as a leader to ask what's not working. So instead of throwing things in front of people all the time, you have to allow people to have a safe place to say, this was dumb, or this doesn't make sense, or this doesn't fit into the scope of our work. And I think that part of that, and Amy touched on it, is that part of training is teaching people how to critically think and how to problem solve, because that empowers them. And it allows them to know that you trust them. So give them the tools and then teach them how to use the tools. You know, Katie, you just reminded me of something that our co-host and our BWC rep, Nick Koya, mentions a lot, that it may fall more under employee engagement communication, but I think it's important, even in regards here, to talk about it, is when we go to improve safety, we have to look a little deeper into issues. You know, he gave this example one time, because we call the box checking, we call that the safety box. Whenever anyone thinks of safety, it's the checklist, the lockout, tagout, GHS, whatever it is, right? The hard hats, the PPE. But safety is so much more, and it's not just the policy, it's that engagement, communication, how we train. For example, a lot of issues that people have with wearing eye protection is because they're not the proper glasses for the environment. So if the environment's real hot, they get fog up, so they're taken off so they can see so they don't get hurt in other ways or get their finger pinched in a machine, right? And one of the examples that Nick gave is he was working on a line, I think it was a plastic factory or rubber excursion. And he was talking to an operator and they kept uh, removing their hearing protection. And so the safety manager was all fired up. I keep trying to tell them they won't listen to me and all these different things because they were trained on hearing protection, but they didn't communicate. What he went up to, he engaged the employees and he said, listen, shoot straight with me. Why do you keep taking your hearing protection out? He's like, because we can't hear each other and we have to communicate in order to operate the machine. And he's like, huh? So what if we find some electronic noise canceling headsets where you guys can communicate. They're like, man, that'd be awesome. And guess what happened? Never had a hearing protection issue again after that. So mm-hmm. it's amazing how small we miss safety because we don't take the time to be committed, engage, and communicate, and have that proper training, right? And so that brings us right back to where I think Katie and I both are incredibly passionate about that middle, mid-level manager. And she and I both are working together on workforce development plans that will include this member of your team, right? Because they're not always able to maybe have that tough conversation. And so training, when we're talking about shifting safety culture, isn't just about PP, et cetera. It's also about having tough conversations, facilitating tough conversations. 
being able to include everyone in a conversation about safety, making sure coming back to that point of employee empowerment, that as a as a mid-level manager, that you're able to empower and engage all of the employees. That doesn't come easy. We talked about it earlier that that guy, that woman is oftentimes just promoted based on experience and skill set, but they don't have the managerial and leadership skill set. So part of the training is really beyond, I guess, the, mm-hmm. the day-to-day nuts and bolts of safety. So, you know, it's the, it's the emotional intelligence. It's all of the things that we've been taught are a waste of investment. Yes. But yes. in the long term, it actually makes your team so much better. It's yeah. interesting how we glaze over that. Yeah, you know, I have a bone to pick with that. That's a pet peeve of mine because going as far back as 2010, I remember being on these community committees and different things for workforce development and all these different things. And every single employer that we talked to said the number one issue was soft skills. Now, here's the problem I had with it. Every time someone from the state would come in or, you know, all these different things, they're like, you guys tell us what you need. And they're like, soft skills. Like, I do need people that could, you know, use a ruler be a little better math or do A, B, and C, but they're like, people aren't showing up. People are coming in late. You know, people are just leaving early without telling anyone. They're just, you know, calling off all the time. That's our number one need. We hear you. We hear you. We're going to do something about that. So they came back with this big and come and worker campaign, all these different things that are great, but it never solved any of the real issues. And so I remember being in those meetings like, hey guys, love what you're trying to do, but you said you want to hear from the employers and they're telling you our biggest issue is soft skills. You know, how do I get the guy, uh, keep him from getting mad and walking off the job because he didn't like getting corrected from his supervisor, right? And so you hit it right on the head, Katie. Emotional intelligence is a huge thing. Going with the training thing, I think soft skills are huge. I think it's one of those things, if you want better followers, and I know like some people don't like to talk about that, but but teach them leadership skills. When I went through leadership training, it actually made me listen to those in charge of me at work or wherever I was a little bit more because I understood where they were coming from a little bit different. Talked about servant leadership. That changed my life. I remember going in college, having some issues there, going to community college. Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. These things literally shifted how I looked and viewed at things, which made me better at everything. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes with training, like you said, Amy, we get in a safety box and hit those real mechanical stuff. But those peripheral type trainings, those supplemental trainings, how to spot mental health or how to overcome those kind of issues, those things are real powerful in developing us into that. So I want to go ahead and move on. And for time's sake, and though we can sit on training for a while, number five that you gave us, Amy, is one of the most important things, I think, when it comes to culture. I think it's one of those things that kill it. If, if you don't have this, you kill it. It's consistency. You know, if we're inconsistent, nothing will kill any type of positive direction we're taking culture than inconsistency. I mean, I think it's as simple as that. Katie talked about it earlier that like this can become exhausting and you also are not going to be perfect. You know, my, my saying lately is done beats perfect. You just got to do it and you got to keep doing it. And it might not be perfect, but just keep trying. And I, and I really, truly, I think it's as simple as that. Hmm? Yeah, and it's being just, I think that we keep we keep coming back to it. It's relational, and relationships are a lot of work. They're a lot of work professionally. They're a lot of work personally. And the reward that you get from a relationship or the depth of the relationship is how much you put into it. And I tell this story a lot that when I first went into safety, I came in in mid-season, so everybody was already out on cruise. So I had no contact with anyone, and I had to figure out how to be new 
a woman and family and a business leading things that were regulatory, right? So I couldn't, they are what they were, what they were. And so I had to figure out how to connect with people. And so coming from Starbucks, from a place that was like so soft, you know, that everyone, you know, was all based on respect and, and having those hard conversations in a very gentle way, I decided that I was going to send everybody birthday cards. So I started that summer and I sent every single person a birthday card. And by the time I got to the following year's training, what I had realized is that just by showing them that they existed as an individual, they tended to come into my office more. And I also could ask them for what I needed without pushback. We just have to find a way and and, creatively. And so I think, you know, like maybe there's a six to this, you know, we talk about five, but there's a six that I think it, it bottom line is you just got to care. I mean, we can go across all of these points on how you shift safety culture, how you become a better safety leader, how you just change behaviors. Ultimately, as leaders, you just got to care about the people that work for you. By caring, you're showing your commitment. You're empowering them to make a change. You're communicating with them all of the time. You're being consistent. You're recognizing them and rewarding them. I mean, it all comes full circle when you just simply care. And that's tough. It's tough in our business to do that. We weren't raised to be that way, but yeah. But you'll find success. And I think going back to management commitment with caring, you also have to stop promoting people who don't care about people. Yes. There has to be yep. the proper balance between task and relationship orientation. Absolutely. For sure. And that reminds me, <laughs> I did mention that, and I, f- I forgot this point of the Auburn study. One of the big things that they talked about was the perception of management's safety concern. Yeah. And a lot mm-hmm. of that was, again, what we've been talking about this whole time, consistency between message and actions. And let's be honest, a lot of us, if we're concerned about numbers, don't feel like managers care about us, do we? We think we're just another brick in the wall. We're just another number, but we don't put faces on it. They don't put names on it. Then we're just another number and they just want their parts out the door. And that automatically goes back to number two, employee engagement. We feel disengaged. It's a natural product. If the employees don't perceive and some people are like, I care about their safety. You do. I really do. And it doesn't matter if you actually do. If they don't perceive it. And so sometimes as managers and leaders, we need to go out of the way to make sure we're communicating the way we can to make them feel like we're really concerned about them. So that's a really good point. I really like number six. So Amy, Katie, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. I think we had some good information. Hopefully we can, you know, send them blast out the information of safety culture and how to impact it. If you're a listener out there, we just encourage you engage your employees Show them that you really care and take the long path in regards to culture. Change one thing at a time. Remember, safety culture is like an organic plant. You just organically water and keep watering and pulling the weeds around it until you get the culture that you want. But as Amy said earlier, we have a culture no matter what, whether it's good or bad, there's always a culture. So don't mix that up with campaigning, but keep massaging it, improving it, watering that thing until you get it to where you want. Ladies, thank you so much. And I hope to have you back sometime soon. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe.
To learn more about how your company can earn up to a 4% Ohio BWC premium rebate by becoming an active member of the Portage County Safety Council, please visit our website at www.portagecountysafetycouncil.wordpress.com. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.